All right. Great singing. Appreciate you guys doing that and uh, seeing each of you guys here this morning. Uh, true or false? Christians get divorced as often as non-Christians. Don't worry about raising your hands or anything. Just but think about it. True or false? Do Christians get divorced as often as non-Christians? I was actually somewhat surprised by some studies that have come out. So first, one of the studies that we have uh, comes out of uh, University of Connecticut. And uh, there it is. Nice. Yeah. I think the static up here is messing my finger up. I can't quite get things to move. So uh, Bradley Wright from University of Connecticut did a study. So this is a, a non-Christian guy. 60% of Christians, and I put it in quotes because it's, it's those who profess to be Christians, and so we know that not everybody who says they're a Christian is actually a Christian. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of logical. But 60% of people who say they're Christians, who rarely attend church, have been divorced. Okay, so 60%. 38% of those who would call themselves Christians, who regularly attend church, have been divorced. So it's kind of interesting there. The difference is whether they regularly attend church or not, which also says something about whether a person is truly saved or not, right? We've been talking a lot about what it really means to be saved, what Jesus says about what it means to be saved. Uh, another study came out of the University of Virginia, and it says that active conservative Protestants, so um, our church would be considered a conservative Protestant. And what that means is that we're not Catholic, um, number one. But number two, that we believe that salvation is by faith in Christ and Christ alone, that we believe the Bible is our authority. It's inspired by God in all 66 books, the original manuscripts. Um, and that, that the Bible is um, our guide for living life. So that's the conservative part. Okay, So active conservative Protestants are 35% less likely to divorce than those who have no religious affiliation. So people who don't go to church and that kind of thing. 35% less likely if you're actively involved in um, being a part of church, God's Word, and then living that out, which makes sense, right? <laughs> Doing God's Word. Anyway. Um, nominal conservative Protestants. So nominal is a person who says they're a Christian, but... They just say they are. They're not necessarily living it, you know, may or may not attend church, but Monday to Saturday, you couldn't really tell their life is any different than anybody else's. Um, they're 20% more likely, so get this, 20% more likely to divorce than secular Americans, than people who are not even going to church. Isn't that weird? So they're saying they're Christians, not necessarily living it, and they're 20% more likely. Anyway, some interesting uh, stats there. If you start st studying out about uh, divorce, um, the numbers are all over the place, really. And, uh, and what happens is a lot of people remember back in the 70s when no-fault divorce happened, when that first became legal or whatever. There was a huge number of divorces that kind of skewed the surveys. And so a lot of people believe, well, 50% of people get divorced or marriages get divorced, and 50% of Christian marriages get divorced, but that's not necessarily true. But this is interesting as to, as to who gets divorced, those who are Christians, um, who gets divorced. 
Well, obviously God's desire is that there wouldn't be divorce of any kind in anyone's life, whether they're Christians or not. You know, God created marriage, and the idea was for one man and one woman to be together for their lives. But we realize we live in a fallen world. Uh, that's not going to be the case. There's sin involved. We operate out of selfishness. Our spouse operates out of selfishness. And so marriages are struggles, and some end in divorce, sadly. But it's interesting from these statistics that you're less likely to get divorced if you're actively involved in living out your faith and being a part of a church family, which is interesting because we just got done talking about that in Ephesians chapter 4. You know, God says that. So it makes sense that God who created marriage says if you do life this way, the way I'm telling you to do life, your life is going to show that and your marriage is going to be a strong, healthy marriage, one that's not going to experience divorce for the most part. But, um, it, you know, it takes work. So marriage is the first of three major relationships that we're going to look at today. We're going to have to fly through this information, starting in Ephesians chapter 5. So you can turn there if you're not there already. It's page 1173 if you're using the Bible uh, in the chairs. And we're going to look at three major relationships. These are the relationships that you'll spend the most time involved in. Marriage is the first. Marriage is the most important. Everything that happens really in our marriage filters down, believe it or not, into, I think, into these other relationships. I, I won't say that thus say it the Lord, but I think this is true, that if you are doing marriage God's way, you're going to do family God's way, and you're going to do your work situation God's way. What I want to do, though, before we read is... Um, I want to I take you through what I'm saying are four overriding truths about relationships. There's, a, there's others, but I kind of feel like if we get these four things nailed down, then all of our relationships, starting in our marriage, will begin to move in a direction towards God, move in a direction towards healing and growing. Okay. So the first one is this. Roles in relationships imitate God. Oh, in marriage, this is a huge one. Because oftentimes we believe what the world tells us, and the world tells us that there's no roles in marriage. You're, you know, it's, it's a man, and well, in this day and age, figure out what marriage is. Biblical marriage is a man and a woman. And there's a whole lot of questions I have about if God is the one who created marriage, then why does everybody want to be married, just live together? Anyways, besides the point. Um, so, marriage is a man and a woman, and God gives them roles, responsibilities within that marriage, and what's interesting is that we, we then equate those roles to being um, not equal to each other. And predominantly, you, we see this with women, and as we read what God calls women, the wives, to do in a marriage, they'll look at it and say, well, that just means I'm not as, as equal as my husband. Well, that's not at all what that means, and we're going to be talking about what that means. But in the Godhead, in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, right? we believe in a God who is one but is three persons. 
unified. And they're unified um, as one and as, a, as God, but they're also unified in a sense that they're equal, of equal power, equal value, if you want to call it that. And they're also unified in their purpose, or his purpose. You've got to be careful how you say this. In his purpose. And that purpose is to reveal himself to mankind and draw people to him to restore their relationship with him. That's God's, God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know who he is. That's why he's given us the word. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. He wants us to know who he is. And then he wants us to share him with others. They're all, all three persons of the Trinity are unified in that purpose. But it's interesting, they have different responsibilities. Each person has different responsibilities. You can't say they when you're talking about God, because he's one. So this is what makes it a little bit difficult. So, for instance, God the Father sent God the Son to earth, right? Everybody would give me an amen to that, right? All right. So, God the Father sends God the Son. God the Son says, I don't do anything other than what God the Father tells me. So, God the Son isn't off doing whatever he wants to do. He looks to God the Father as to what he was supposed to do while he was on earth, and he didn't even do it in his own power. The Bible tells us he did it within the power of the God the Holy Spirit. Same purpose, different roles and responsibilities. Jesus goes back to heaven. He tells us before he leaves that God the Father and God the Son are going to send God the Holy Spirit to earth to be a part, live, and dwell, we who are Christians. But Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit doesn't teach anything that Jesus hasn't told him to teach. So the Holy Spirit, by the way, the Holy Spirit won't teach you anything that the Bible doesn't teach. Because the Bible is what Jesus has given us. Same purpose, different roles, equal value, but different roles. And so it is within marriage, and really within family relationships and work relationships, there's this idea of coming under someone's authority, which we've all come under Christ's authority. And we have a purpose. And again, this is something we need to nail down. Here's our purpose for existing once we place our faith in Christ. To reveal God to others and to draw them to us so we can point them to Christ for salvation. That's why we get, that's what we're doing in our marriages, that's what we're doing in our families, and that's what we're doing in our workplace. If you're doing anything other than that in those relationships, you're not doing what Scripture tells you to do. And if you're doing something other than that, your marriage is not going to be working correctly, your family's not going to be working correctly, and your workplace situation is going to not be working correctly. It's all about revealing who God is, drawing people to Him for salvation. So roles. Next, it's not rocket science. <laughs> I've said this several times. But it takes, and I've added this, it takes humility, time, and effort. So it's not rocket science. This is not like, you know, if you were to come in for marriage counseling with me, or if you have issues at work or in your family, whatever, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about what God's word says about it, and it's really not that difficult. 
I mean, I'm teaching it, so it can't be that difficult, right? So it's not that difficult, but it does take humility on our part. Why? Because we've been doing life our way for so long that we don't even realize at times how much we live life our way. How quick we are to respond the way we think we should respond. So we have to humble ourselves and say, okay, listen, let's say you're having struggles in your marriage. And again, it takes two, but let's, for your end of it, you got to be, we'll talk about, you got to be responsible for you. And so you got to look at it and say, okay, where am I responding like I think I should respond and where should I, how should I be responding according to what God says I should be responding? Okay? So it takes humility. It takes time and effort. Again, we've been thinking our way for so, so many years that it's going to take time for God to re- remodel, renew, remodel, renovate our minds. But the more time we put towards that and allow him to do that, the quicker the change will happen, the quicker the healing will happen, the quicker the growth in our marriage, our family, and our workplace will happen. Third, we must be committed to change and not waiting for the other person to change. This is not, God never says, um, Harold, before I save you, you change. He's never told me that. In Scripture, doesn't ever say that. What it tells me is, Jesus died on the cross so that I could change. In other words, he took my sin against him. He took my pain, if you want to put it that way, my sin, my responding to him incorrectly, and he died on the cross for me. Then once I asked him to forgive me, then God's Holy Spirit comes in, and now I can start doing life his way. He's reconciled that relationship between him and me. And the same thing in our relationships between each other. It's not me going, well, I'll change as soon as Kim changes. If Kim will start doing certain things or stop doing certain then I'll start. No, that's not how it works. And if you're going to operate that way, nothing's going to change in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. It takes us initiating the change, making sure that we are being open to what God wants to do in our lives, and again, you guys, I get this. Some of you are probably sitting here going, that doesn't make sense. And I agree with you 100%. But that's because God's coming up with it. And God is, can do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. So our way keeps screwing up. Am I right? I mean, I know when I respond to Kim the way I think I should respond to her, doesn't go very well. When I've responded uh, to my kids the way I think I should respond to them, doesn't go very well. When I've responded the way I think I should respond, whether it's my job you know, outside of ministry or jobs in ministry, never goes well. Do it God's way. It's amazing what happens. And the last one is this. We must make deposits. If you've done any marriage counseling with me, this is one of the big things we talk about. We must make deposit deposits into the other person's trust bank. Here's the deal. When we... When we sin against somebody else, what we're doing is we're taking withdrawals okay, on their trust of us. And the more that we sin against them, the more that we do things wrong in a way that they don't appreciate or understand, we begin to lose, uh, they begin to lose trust in us. And when we get into the red is when we really have problems. So our goal as followers of Christ, and this even works for people who are not Christians, but for we who are followers of Christ, if we would build into other people's lives to do for them what they need us to do, 
they begin to trust us more. And when we trust somebody, we're more likely to listen to them. We're more likely to follow their example. And in our relationships, they're more likely to let us tell them about who God is and draw them to Him for salvation. If, we could, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, if you have notes, which I put in your bulletin, circle this and just do this, okay? Because everything we're going to talk about flows out of these four things. This is the most important, and we could probably even close in prayer, but we won't because I get paid by the Word, as you guys know, and, and the bills are coming in, kids. <laughs> the bills are coming in. So, let's, uh, let's see what God has to say. Moving the table out of the way. So God starts with, with the wives. So we're just going to start with the wives. So, uh, ladies, if you're a wife or think about maybe becoming a wife one of these days, ears turned on, get ready to go. Men, fall asleep. I'll wake you up when it's your turn. It says this, wives... Be subject, or, which man, I'm telling you, that word in this, uh, this day and age, I get it. That's a scary word. Subject means like king, you know, peasant, you know, you're my subject, you know. Dial it down, ladies. You with me? Everybody, all ladies do this. Dialing down. Okay. Subject means, uh, here's a better word, uh, submit. No, that's not working either. Let's see. Uh, it's not a good word. Uh, it basically, it just means this to uh, willingly, <laughs> willingly come under the authority of another person. Okay. Now, interesting how he says it here. Wives, be subject, willingly come under the authority of your husbands as you've already willingly come under the authority of Jesus Christ. So you've already made a choice to follow Christ, now you're going to make a choice to do life his way, do marriage his way. For the husband, not that, any, not that a husband ever... Maybe he's even done anything to, to have this position. It's just something how God has designed it. And God's perfect and he knows what he's doing. Husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, Jesus, being the savior of the body. Men, okay, wake up, men. Jesus was the savior of the body. So, men. But as the church is subject, willingly come under the authority of Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands and everything. Nevertheless, dropping down to verse 33, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects, that's a better word, respects her husband. All right, so what I'm going to do is in each of these relationships, I'm going to make it real simple because I'm not a complicated person. I need things simple, so I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to give you one word to focus in on, I'm going to give you uh, some homework. One word and some homework, okay? So ladies, your, first, your word that you need to focus in on is respect. That you're to respect your husband. Now notice, Jesus didn't say respect your husband if, respect your husband when. It says respect your husband as to the Lord. So where's your focus on as you're, Giving your husband respect, what are you really focusing on? Jesus. Okay? It's crucial. It flows from your relationship with Christ. In your relationship with Christ, you'll be more willing to demonstrate respect to your husband no matter what kind of husband he is. 
but it, it has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because it's Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, who's going to give you the power to do what needs to be done, especially if your husband isn't someone who you would naturally think should be respected. It's your husband's greatest need. You want to shoot your husband down? You want to take your husband down a few notches? Not suggesting it, just saying if you want to. Disrespect him. That, that's the button to push. You want to suck the trust out of your husband? Disrespect him. Because that's his greatest need. That's how God has designed him. You want to build trust into your husband? You want to help your husband, be, husband become the man of God that God wants him to be? Put trust in by respecting. There's a bunch of different buttons we can push. We want to push the right buttons and respect. Show respect to your husband. It's what you were created to do. You ever think about that? It was, it's what you were created to, and according to Genesis 2, if you were perfect, you would do this. Isn't that cool? And everyone's like, yeah, but I'm not perfect. I get it. You're not perfect. But you got God's Holy Spirit in you to help you move in that direction, right? So it's what you were created to. You were created by God to help your husband and you together to reveal God to each other, to your family, to everyone else around you, and to draw other people to you so you can point them to Christ by you respecting your husband. You're not less equal in value to God. God tells us that. It's just a different role, different responsibility in the big purpose that God has for us in our relationships. So your homework. So, you uh, ladies, um, we'll, we'll allow this to happen because, you know, you talk to your husband and say, hey, let's go grab some coffee. And your husband will be shocked. It'll be okay as long as you're paying. And so you guys go for coffee or go out for dinner, whatever. And as you're talking, say, hey, listen, I, I got a question. And if your husband's here with you, he's going to be keyed in on this. I mean, right, husbands? We get this. We're, we're expecting this to happen. What can I do to show you respect? Or another way of putting it, how do I disrespect you? How do you think I disrespect you? Dangerous question, right? Some of you ladies are like, you're already thinking, how can I get out of here without making it look too obvious? Because here's the deal. We think we might be showing our husband's respect. Or you might be. Um, I don't have a husband. You might be thinking you're showing your husband respect, but it's not what you think is respect. It's what your husband thinks is respect. Quick example, I come home from work. Kim thought it was a good thing for her to come running up to me as soon as I walked through the door and have me tell her about my day. She thought that was a good thing to do because she saw it demonstrated in her home and it worked. I'm not her dad. And, which is, you know, thank the Lord. I'm not her dad. And um, so when I walked through the door, I needed some time to adjust to the fact that I was not at work and I was at home. So we had to have a conversation. Give me 30 minutes. All right, give me 30 minutes. And she had to back off for that 30 minutes. And, I had not, and then after 30 minutes, I had to get back into the role and say, okay, well, here's, how my day, here's how my day went. Hey, tell me about your day. 
Okay, a little bit of respect shown. Now, I'm not. Gonna, I was going to give some. Here's some other ideas, but I'm not going to do that. Okay. If this is important to you, you're going to have this conversation with your husband, and your husband's going to be able to tell you. You're not going to. You're not going to defend yourself. You're not going to put excuses out there. You're just going to ask questions. You know, just clarifying questions in a nice, appropriate way. You're going to write those things down. Then you're going to apologize for the time. Say, Lord, you know, I'm I'm sorry, um, honey, for the times I've disrespected you. And then you're going to stop pushing the wrong buttons, and you're going to start pushing the right buttons. Okay. All right. Moving on. I could I could go on and on with this. I got um, By the way, any of this information because I'm going to fly through it as much as I can. I'm always available to meet. Okay. I, I love. You know, marriage counseling, I really enjoy doing marriage counseling. Love seeing marriages get their lives, you know, back together where it needs to be. So please, if you have any questions, set up a time, come talk to me. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. So that he might sanctify By the way, there's a lot more verses for men here, so hang in there. So that he might sanctify her set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So as, as Jesus is doing this for the church, men, you need to be thinking, oh man, I'm going to present my wife to God this way. How are we doing? So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. Why? Because we're one. We're of equal value. We're one. And we're one in a purpose, and that is a purpose to reveal Christ to others and to draw people to him for salvation. That's what our job is. That's what we're supposed to be doing together. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, goes back to Genesis chapter 2, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking of re- with reference to Christ and the church, that, that whole idea of Christ being the church, you and me, it's a, it's a mystery. It's, it's, uh, in, in a sense that it's um, a secret that's been revealed. It happens through Christ. Nevertheless, going to verse 33, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself. The wife must see that she respects her husband. Husbands, Word is sacrifice. Okay? Your word is sacrifice. Your word is sacrifice. I'm a guy. We know, I know. We need to have it repeated a few times. So just, you know, your word is sacrifice. This flows out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. As you grow in your relationship with Christ, you're going to be more willing to sacrifice for your wife. So if you're like, okay, I need to do this, start with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do what's necessary to develop and grow that relationship with Jesus Christ, which we've already talked about what that is. Four things. Spend time with him and his word. Uh, regularly attend church. Be a part of a church family. right? Serve within a church family and share your faith with others. Those four things. Boom. All right. In that, you're going to grow in your relationship with Christ. It's your wife's greatest need. It's your wife's greatest need to know that her spiritual and emotional life is your number one concern outside of Christ. So if you want to 
you want to push her buttons in a negative way, you want to suck the trust right out of her, don't care about her. Care about yourself more than her. Care about what your activities and your events are, where you spend your time, what hobbies you do, what you think is important when you're talking and having a conversation with her. Talk over her when she's trying to have a conversation. But into a conversation that she's having with somebody in order to give your opinion on something. You want to disrespect, oh wait, that's the wrong word. You want to not sacrifice, you want to suck the emotional and spiritual life out of your wife, do those things. But if you want to pour into your wife so that she trusts you, so that she respects you, so she's willing to follow you, then what you need to be doing is finding out how do you nurture and cherish your wife just like you would nurture and cherish your own body and care about yourself? It doesn't say don't care about yourself, but you better be caring about your wife just as much as you care about yourself. So, oh, by the way, if um, you were created to do this, um, and if you were perfect, you would do this. And so the only reason you're not doing it is because we're sinful people and we need God's help to make this happen. So your homework is simply this. Take your wife out, go out to a restaurant, grab some coffee, and ask her, what can I do to show you that I love you? Where do I need to sacrifice me for you? Now, you don't make excuses. You don't defend yourself. You can ask clarifying questions. So when I did this, that wasn't helpful? No. Why? Well, because of this. Okay. Mark that down. Ask for forgiveness for the times that you've failed to do what was necessary. Stop pushing the wrong buttons and start pushing the right buttons because now you're going to know what those things are. All right. Moving on. We're going to move into the family, parents, and kids. So it says this, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. He's talking about the Ten Commandments here. That's why it's written in bold or capitalized. It's going back to the Old Testament. So that it, so that it may uh, be well with you, and that you may live long and prosper. No, live long. On the earth, sorry. I, that always comes to my head when I read that. So, kids. Now, when I say kids, uh, your word is honor, but he, Paul's specifically talking to kids that are still in the home. Okay? So, if you're a kid here who's still living um, with your parents, he's talking to you. Now, if you're an adult living with your parents, you know, we, Kim and I did that for a while. That's not what he's talking about. Kids who are still responsible to their parents. Parents are responsible to take care of them. But your word is honor. And honor is for every child of a parent. My parents are in the 90s. I still need to honor them. Okay, I don't need to obey them. But I need to honor them. So I need to care about them. You know, I'm getting my, my phone right now. I got it in my back pocket. It's blowing up with texts. Okay, Because they're dealing with some things with my dad having some dizzy issues. He's 94 years old and having some dizzy spells. So 
my phone is blowing up with my brothers all talking about what's going on. Um, so this flows, kids, this flows from your relationship with Christ. The closer you are to Christ, the greater your willingness to, is to honor. Okay? Um, your parents, that's your parents' greatest need. Again, you want to zing your parents? Dishonor them. Don't obey them. Talk back to them. You know? Maybe do what they want you to do, but do it with a huff and an attitude and a toss in the trash can. All right? You want to you strip away any trust they might have you? You want to go do something? And, and not suddenly your parents don't want you to, or don't let you do that? A lot of reasons why parents don't let their kids go off and do something is because they don't trust them. Why? Because they're not doing anything at home to build that trust. They think they know better than their parents. They think they know more than their parents. They got it all figured out. So, uh, cool thing, it's, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments with a promise. And what it means there, that if you, if you can understand what it means to honor your parents and obey your parents with a good attitude, then when you get out of the house, you're going to have a better ability to honor those who are your authority outside your home. Teachers, um, employers, God. You know, so it's pretty important to learn what that means. So here's your homework. Pull your parents aside, sit them down, buy them coffee if you have a job, which will shock them. And they just say, hey, how, how am I failing to honor you? How am I failing to honor you? And then don't defend. Just listen, ask questions. And then stop, well, apologize for what you have been doing. Then stop doing what pushes their buttons and start doing what builds trust back into your relationship with them. Okay? Fathers, parents. <clears throat> oh, yeah, sorry. Thanks, Jerry. Um, we're, we're moving on to fathers or parents, but I wanted to bring back some stats that we talked about in a previous series that we did. Here's the impact of fathers on a family. Okay? If the father does not attend church, 2% of children will attend regularly. Dads that are here, way to go. Awesome. If the dad regularly attends church, 66 to 75% of the children will attend regularly or irregularly. So they'll, they'll come or some will you know, kind of hit and miss. You know, not quite catching on there. But they're still attending because the dad regularly attends. If the child is the first one to accept Christ, 3.7% of the family will follow the child's lead. If the mom accepts Christ first, and we're not saying that they shouldn't, we're just saying this is a stats. So if the mom first is the first to accept Christ, 17% of the family will follow the mom's lead. But if the dad accepts Christ first, 93% of the family will follow the dad's lead. I don't care what the world tells us about how important or unimportant a dad in the home is. God's Word says it means everything. So, guys, if we feel picked on from time to time, maybe it's because we need to be picked on from time to time. Maybe it's time for us as Christian men to not worry about what the world thinks about what a man should be, and we start being men that God wants us to be. 
and start doing life that way, loving our wives that way, taking care of our kids that way, being the employees, the employers that we need to be. Instead of being mamsy-pamsy and... <laughs> Let's man up. Let's do what God calls us to do. Our, lo- our families depend on it. D- those don't lie. It's crazy. So, men, it's to fathers, but it, parents involved in it, because if the man takes the lead, the wife's going to follow, right? It says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in a discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, pretty quick there. Here's your word, consistency. Again, it has to do with the Lord. Consistency first in your relationship with Christ. Men, if you are not pursuing Christ in your relationship, you are damaging your marriage, your family, and your workplace. And your church family, by the way. So men, man up. It's your child's greatest need. Your child needs to know that you're not a hypocrite. Man, guys, I'm telling you. If we say one thing and do another, if we talk God and live like we don't have God in our lives, our kids will read that big time and they catch on fast. Fortunately, I I have kids that call me on it. Not that I like it, but um, the one time it really happened, um, the one child didn't have the guts to come to me, he went to Kim, but it got relayed to me, so that's all that matters. And they used the word hypocrite. Because I've always said, you need to be part of a church, you need to be part of a church, you need to be part of a church, you need to be part of a church. It's about community, 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 community. And then I left the pastor for a while, worked at a high school in Colorado. I was shot emotionally and spiritually, and I didn't want to go to church. I didn't want to be around Christians. I didn't want to go to church. And one of the kids said to Kim, kind of like a hypocrite. And it got to me, and it was like, nuts. They listened to me, you know. So I had to apologize, and then we had to start looking for church. And, and again, it was a rough time in our lives, but God was, God was faithful to us. Um, but we've got to be men of God who live it out, starting with our wives. Again, Kids will see this, and they see it quickly. The closer you are to Christ, uh, the less you'll exasperate your child. That, that word there, do not provoke your child to anger, has this idea of exa- exasperate. And if any of you guys have ever been exasperated by your parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I, I have. Um, and, and what it is, is just this ongoing, repeated um, response, an incorrect response to life. It's like uh, continually being a hypocrite or... Uh, continually disciplining in a way that's a little maybe over and above what needs to be done, or disciplining without explanation is another way you can exasperate your child. So discipline your child. If they've disobeyed, you need to discipline them. But you need to discipline them with explanation, the instruction that it talks about, all right? Um, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that's part of that. It could be hovering in the sense of uh, being uh, too involved in your kids' lives, trying to control everything in their lives. There's a lot of different things that can exasperate a child. Again, we're supposed to discipline them, and we're supposed to instruct them. And so discipline means the idea of a, like a coach. And so coaches will discipline their, their athletes. And so if a, if a, if a, um, 
an athlete's not doing a play properly, may they, they may make the kid do that play over and over and over and over and over again, which is kind of a discipline. It's not a fun thing. Discipline's not necessarily fun. Um, and, and then it's encouraging them. It's challenging them. It's praising them. It's, it's helping them. It's teaching them. And then instruction is, has more of the attitude behind it, showing the proper attitude, helping our kids grow in, in proper attitudes in life. Our kids will learn far more from what we do than what we say. They're watching very closely. Okay? It's not about being your child's friend. God never says, be your child's friend. It's about earning their trust and you helping them become the adults that they need to become. Because you're an adult already and you know what that takes. You've screwed up in your life, I've screwed up in my life. You've done things right in your life, I've done things right in my life. So where we've screwed up, we need to help our kids understand, listen, that road is not a road you want to go down. But if they choose to go down that road, you've got to let them experience the pain of that. You can't just sit there and no, 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 The other thing I wrote down here is that our kids gain their first impression, men, our kids gain their first impression of who God is from us. So how they view us will be their first impression of how they view God. Your homework. Sit your child down one at a time, I would, if you have more than one. Uh, and by the way, if, if you're a, a grandparent who's raising a child, if you're an aunt and uncle that's raising a niece or a nephew, because I realize not everybody has... Um, traditional family, if you want to call it that. Um, so this applies as well because you're in that role. But ask them, where do you see inconsistencies in my life? Now, if you're like me, I, I do not want to ask that question. <laughs> my kids don't need to tell me what's going on in my life. I know better than they do, you know. But this is a great way to build trust in your kids and help them understand what it means to be a godly adult. It's got to be age-appropriate. You know, you gotta, if you're going to have a conversation with your six-month-old, you know, you know what I'm saying? Where am I failing you? I'm sorry. You're sorry. All right, real quick. Moving on. Imitators of God at work. All right? We're going to read both of these. Now, it's, it's written to slaves and masters. We all, all understand, right, that... Um, First century slave situation, servant situation was different than what we had here in our country. In the first century, it was pretty much primarily how many people survived. And it was not a racial issue. It was people putting themselves into servanthood and slavery, if they want to put it But they were, many of them were well-educated. They were the ones that were running the business for the masters. So when you think about this, it's not quite, the same parallels what we unfortunately had in our country um, years ago. So it says this, slaves or employees, be obedient to those who are your masters, your bosses, according to the flesh. In other words, they're the boss because they're, you know, according to the flesh, you're both humans. With fear and trembling, 
in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord. It always goes back to Jesus, right? And not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And then for the bosses, the masters, the boss, do the same things to them. Give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So, employees, your word is dependable. And you're going to be dependable as to Christ. In other words, you work for Jesus. You represent Christ. To your boss, to your co-workers, you're not working for your boss, at least not your earthly boss, you're ultimately working for your heavenly boss, Jesus Christ. The closer you are to Christ, the greater your willingness to work hard, to do what's necessary, have the right attitude. Okay? And believe me, I, I haven't always been a pastor, um, I, I've, I've been in situations where I did not want to work for my boss. And I had a boss who was hired, a, a young kid that was hired over me when I had, of course, the far greater experience and ability to do the job. I'm not bitter because I'm here. It, it allowed me to come here. So, anyways... It's your boss's greatest need to know that he can count on you. Or she can count on you. Okay? So here's your question. Go to your boss. Don't wait for an evaluation. Go to your boss. Sit down and say, hey, where can I do better in my job? Where am I maybe not living up to what you want from me? No excuses. No defending yourself. Asking questions about how you can do it better. What does he mean by that? What does she mean by that? Because again, you're revealing who God is to this person and drawing them to Christ, hopefully, for salvation if they don't know him. So, where can I do my job better? For employers, encourage. That's your word. Because your boss is in heaven. <laughs> so in other words, you work for Jesus. You represent him to your employees and colleagues and everybody that you're around. The closer you are to Christ, the greater your willingness to encourage. It's your employee's greatest need. You're, and again, I ha I've had crews before, and so it's, it's important for your people to know that you appreciate them, that you care about them, that when they do a good job, that you're, hey, good job. You know, and that even in your, hey, things aren't going well, to do that in a, an encouraging way if possible, coming up with... Um, Figure out how they understand what, what words they use. Okay? And your homework is um, sit your employee down and say, where can, I do, where can I be better as a boss? How do you need me to be better as a boss? Not easy to do. I get it. Man, what a difference it makes when we start doing that and building trust into relationships and seeing God then use those relationships in a way that reveals who He is. And, and then be able to share Christ with them because they, they trust you. That you care about them. Care about their family. We do all of this, as we've been talking about, it's always about the Lord. It always goes back to the Lord, as to the Lord, in the Lord, because of the Lord. Because He chose, before He ever told us to change, 
He chose to die for us to do what needed to happen in order for us to have our sins forgiven and a restored relationship with God. And that's why we do what we do in our lives. Why we operate the way we operate and do the tough work of following Christ and how we respond in our relationships. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And the band can go ahead and um, come on up and and get things ready that way. And um, as we do, I just want to give you some instructions about this. Uh, Some of you who have done this before, many probably many of you who have done this before, uh, understand kind of what we do. Um, And this is just one of the ways we do it. Uh, We'll be doing it again on Good Friday, but doing it a little bit differently on Good Friday. Um, So as you come forward in a bit while the band is leading us, uh, I'd ask you to come up through the center aisle.